advocate, intercessor. And so if you'll open up your Bible to uh, Revelation and uh, chapter 12, what we're going to do is just kind of quickly go through these verses and um, just to reorient you, it's been a couple of weeks. And as I've said before, what you're reading here in the middle of the book of Revelation is what is uh, referred to as a parenthetical insertion, which means that in the chronology of the narrative of the book of Revelation, showing this chronology of events, the Lord inserts in it a thought, an idea, some information that He wants us to have. It sort of steps out of the chronological narrative, and it, and it talks about something that happened already when this was written. And it's important for us to get this. And so here's this, here's this insertion in the narrative. Um, John writes, Now war arose in heaven. Michael and his angels fighting against the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought back. But he was defeated, and there was no longer any place for them in heaven. And the great dragon was thrown down, that ancient serpent who is called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world. He was thrown down to the earth, and his angels were thrown down with him. And then I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now, everyone say now. Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of His Christ have come. For the accuser of our brothers and sisters has been thrown down, who accuses them day and night before our God. And they have overcome Him by the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony. For they love not their lives unto the death. And what we have just read was inserted in the book of Revelation so that as these events unfold in the time to come, the time that we're probably not too far off from, that we would know as believers that an event took place that changed the um, composition, if you will, of heaven. For heaven at one time not only was the dwelling of the Most High God and His angels and all of the, the beings that God had created, but the devil who had been cast down, Lucifer who had once been cast down, somehow was able to ascend back up into heaven, at least making appearances from time to time when the angels would gather before God and the devil would come up before God and he'd comment about the people of the world. And we see that in the book of Job. When, when uh, Lucifer, when Satan, the accuser, comes up and he starts bad-mouthing Job before God. And he's able to claim a trial uh, that almost destroys and wipes out Job's life. And the Bible tells us in the scripture that we read that the devil had accused us before our God night and day. So he was before God night and day. But something happened and his place was found no more in heaven. His uh, job as an accuser, at least before the throne of God in heaven, was made obsolete. And what that event was was the ascension of Jesus the Savior. When Jesus died for our sins and He rose from the dead to take His place as the one who ever lives to make intercession for us, heaven was filled with the Advocate. There was no need for God to hear accusations any longer because Jesus' blood had been laid down upon the mercy seat and there was no longer any grounds to accuse us before God because Jesus, our champion, 
Jesus, our advocate, filled heaven and He speaks in His voice, His being, He exists, His existence eternally settles our relationship with the Father. And the Bible says no longer would God ever hear the accuser. And so if the Lord isn't listening to the devil any longer, why should we? However, I did read that, that he was cast down to the earth full of wrath. And he, he hasn't given up. He still wants to try to have his voice heard before the Father. So he tries to influence us. Why? Because we are seated in heavenly places. We are up there. We are, our names are not just written in the Lamb's Book of Life, but we, by the power of the Holy Spirit living in us, we are in oneness and in fellowship, seated with Christ in heavenly places. So when we pray, heaven is filled with our prayers. And so the devil tries to piggyback his accusations on our prayers. He tries to get you to repeat all the things that are contrary to the Word of God in prayer so that he can stand upon the earth and still say, see, I still have control of them. Because that was the devil's accusation. His accusation concerning Job and everybody else that he was able to accuse that was in sin was, God, you could create them in your image and likeness, but I can control them. Your love couldn't control them. They left you and they served me. I put my nature in them. And guess what? Your nature jumped out of them. I was able to corrupt your nature in them and I made them sinners. I made them like me. They think like me. They speak like me. Why just, here, let me wind them up and pull the string. And that's what the devil does. Wind you up, pull the string, and there you go. You sound just like him. And so the devil was able to have his little uh, <coughs> seat with the angels before God, and he just kept bad mouthing and saying, "Say, look at her. See the way. Look at the way they act. Look at the way they talk." But when Jesus rose up, God said, "You're not needed. You're not needed any longer." So he came down to the earth, but he still tries to get his claim heard before God. I can control them. I have them. But the battle is no longer in heaven. The battle is resolved in heaven. Heaven is a place of settled victory and triumph. There is no struggle. There is no combat. There is no competition. Somebody say, praise the Lord. Lord. So having summed all that up, let me just say to you this morning that Jesus has seated you in a heaven without an accuser. You're not like David. You're not like Abraham. You're something different. The Bible calls you a new creation and you have a new position. You are seated in a heaven that is filled with the advocate, there is no dispute over your righteousness in Christ. There is no dispute over what Jesus says is yours. Now, there may be dispute in your mind, and there may be disputation upon the earth, and the enemy may come and speak to you about your symptoms and about your behaviors. And he may point out your flaws and faults and accuse and nip away, and you yourself may be in conflict and in confusion, but I'm telling you that where you're seated in heavenly places, there is no dispute, there's no argument, it's settled, there's no accusation, you are the righteousness of God in Christ. Somebody say, praise the Lord. And the Bible tells us in Ephesians chapter 4, uh, two, uh, chapter 2, verses 4 through 6, but God, you need a, some of you need a but God 
in the narrative that you're involved with right now in your life. But God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which He has loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with Him and seated us with Him in the heavenly places. So you are positioned, you are seated with Jesus in a heaven that does not have an accuser in it. As a Christian, the most important thing in your life is to know that you are a child of the advocate. Jesus rose from the dead to be the advocate. Now, I know that in the fallen world, advocates are important to society. Every time there is a there's an injustice or there is a condition or something that's wrong, uh, the world produces advocates uh, that run around and beat the drum and bang the cymbals and uh, make everybody feel bad about what they're not doing and try to call attention. And some advocates do a good job. Some advocates uh, don't do such a good job. Um, Some advocates are like the inevitable afterbirth that follows the situation. Um, So, at any rate, the world may need advocates, but heaven already has an advocate for earth. And and Jesus' advocate covers every need, hallelujah, in the earth. What is there that humanity needs that Jesus did not finish, complete, and provide when he died and rose from the dead? Is there anything that he did not provide? It's all provided. And he will come back to establish that full and complete work. But it's already been done. It's already been completed. Glory to God. And so... There's nothing more important in your life than that you understand and see yourself as a child of the advocate, not a child of the accuser. You're a child of the advocate. And understanding what that means really is the keys of the kingdom that Jesus spoke about that opens every door. The answer to everything in your life lies just beyond that door. You need to open the door of, with wisdom and understanding the door of understanding that you are a child of the advocate. Can you say amen? amen. What I'd like to do is take a look at um, what I think is probably the finest piece of writing that the Holy Spirit um, ever inspired a writer in the Bible to put down that describes what I'm talking about. And it was found in the first chapter of the book of Ephesians when the Apostle Paul said that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, chapter 1, verse 17, the Father of glory may give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of Him, referring to Jesus, that the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you may know there's something God wants you to know, that you may know what is the hope of His calling and what the riches of the glory of His inheritance in the saints And what is the exceeding greatness of His power toward us who believe according to the working of His mighty power, which He wrought in Christ when He raised Him from the dead and set Him at His own right hand in the heavenly places, far above all principality and power and might and dominion in every name that is named, not only in this world, but also in that which is to come. 
Though you, as a Christian, have been filled with the Holy Spirit, you need to ask the Father to release the spirit of wisdom and revelation about Jesus, the Advocate, in you. We have the Holy Spirit, the Teacher, but here Paul is saying, ask for the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Jesus. In other words, ask the Holy Spirit to explain to you so that you are saturated with understanding, give you a revelation, give you wisdom about the Advocate Jesus and what that means to you because that will put the keys of the kingdom in your hand and everything you need will lie beyond that door. Can you say amen? Amen. The reason he asks us to ask for that spirit of wisdom and revelation in Jesus the Advocate is because there's three things about Jesus that the Father wants you to know. And I listed them back here. They are, number one, the hope of His calling. God wants you to know what was the hope of Jesus' calling. Number two, the inheritance in the saints. What was His inheritance in the saints? And number three, He wants you to know the exceeding greatness of His power towards you. What was the greatness of Jesus' power towards us? However, before we look at those, I want you to, um, I want you to notice... In verse um, 18, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened that you may know, look at the capitals, what is the hope of his calling, his inheritance in the saints, greatness of his power. Everyone say, what is? He wants you to know what is, not what might be or what one day will be, but these are three things that the Bible says is. That means they are. These are not in development. These are not conditions that God is bringing you into. These are finished accomplishments. These are completed victories. These are treasures that are sitting at the table of the Lord. Hallelujah. So what I'm going to say to you from here out in this service is not something that is in development. It's not a maybe or a might be. It's not a chance. It's not an effort. It is what the Bible simply calls, God wants you to know what is. Somebody say, praise the Lord. Lord. Number one, the hope of His calling. What did Jesus hope to gain when He came into the world dying for our sins and called us to Himself? The answer to that question is he hoped to inherit a kingdom of people that would rule and reign with him. We tend to think of the gospel and Christianity and our being saved in the isolated circumstances of our own life. I'm a Christian. I come from the Smith family. I have this job. This is what my life has been. This is what I hope my life will be. And we see Jesus as being added, like an additive to our life, and we see our, our existence from our birth in our family, in the particular nature of society or the, the level of, of, a, of society that we're in. But the Bible says all that was finished and over with. In fact, our favorite verse, Galatians 2.20, Paul said, I'm crucified with Christ. That's all done, dead, gone. Yet I live, yet not I, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So 
Jesus hoped to bring forth, to inherit a kingdom of people. Now, a, a kingdom of people are people born into a kingdom. You were born again into the kingdom of God. A people who are born with His nature, carrying His glory, carrying His name, and living as an extension of Him. That's why we're called the body of Christ in the world. Somebody say, Amen. Did you know that the future is in you? What is to come is in you. The Bible teaches that the kingdom of God is within you. Notice that in, in Revelation 12, the Bible said, Now, when Jesus rose up, now is come the kingdom and the power of Christ and His glory. Now this has come. Where has it come? It's come in us. So this was the hope of Jesus' calling. In Colossians chapter 1, 12 through 13, Paul writes, Giving thanks unto the Father who has qualified us to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light, who has delivered us from the power of darkness and has translated us into the kingdom of His dear Son. You're not trying to get to the kingdom of God. You are living in the kingdom. In fact, you are the kingdom of God. Let me take it a step farther and say you are the ambassador of the kingdom of God. Let me just expand upon that and say you are a living mobile embassy. If sinners in conflict wish to get to neutral, safe ground, they need to run to you and hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. They need to take hold of the word of God in you. You are a living embassy of the kingdom of God. Begin to see your life that way. Can you say amen? amen. And remember this kingdom that you bear within yourself as a kingdom that uh, has had the accuser cast out of it. So when you hear the devil talk to you, he's not inside, he's outside. He's trying to get in your head. But you don't have to let him. The Lord kicked him out of his kingdom. So the devil does not enter the kingdom of God. Are you listening to me? The devil cannot enter the kingdom of God. So don't repeat his thoughts. Don't listen to his advice. Don't follow his counsel. Hello, hear me this morning. The devil wants to advise you. He wants to be your counselor. You have an advocate. You are the kingdom of God. Follow the advice of the kingdom. Amen. In the kingdom of God, we heard the prophetic confirmation this morning. You are not dead yet. Get out of the grave. Are you hearing the thus says the Lord? Hello. Are you hearing what God is saying? Get out of the grave. You're not dead yet. What is God saying? The world says, put the dirt on it. It's over with. It's finished. But God is saying, it's never finished in me. Get out of the grave. Stop thinking dead. Stop letting the devil counsel you into the grave. Don't let him talk you into the grave. Come on, church. Are you listening to me? He said to Mary, it's not over till I get here. And then in me, you shall never die. Lazarus, come forth. Somebody say, praise the Lord, hallelujah. 
This is a kingdom the accuser's been cast out of. So when you think of your life as an extension of the earthly connections of family and and, uh, work and of society, naturally you become blotted out by insignificance and irrelevant to a dying world. That's why we have so many Christians walking around, throwing in the towel, giving up, defeated, feeling inferior, feeling swallowed up by insignificance, and seeing themselves as irrelevant in a dying world. Because when you see yourself as a derivative of the lineage of your earthly mother and father, and I'm not speaking against your family, I love my mom and dad, but you then have rejoined the, the lineage of the insignificant. You have rejoined the lineage of the dead. And as the word of the Lord that came forth from Jesse said, you're not dead. I, I couldn't help. I was kind of chuckling when he, was, when he was given that word. I didn't mean to laugh at the Holy Spirit, but I was thinking of Monty Pythons, but I'm not dead yet. <laughs> Bring out your dead, but I'm not dead. You need to argue for the life that's in you. Don't let them throw you on the cart. Don't let them drag you away. Somebody say, praise the Lord. When you understand yourself as a child of Jesus the Advocate, then the eternal power of acceptance and significance in His kingdom will reign through you. Hallelujah. Your life is derived from a triumph, not an effort. You did not inherit a do-over. You inherited a victory. Come on, somebody. Say praise the Lord. You are not the steward of a second chance. You are the steward of a triumph. Hallelujah. You are derived from a triumph, not an effort. You're a testament to the answer, not a victim of the problem. Number two, the second thing God wants you to know is His inheritance in the saints. What did Jesus get when He rose from the dead? He inherited. He got a prize. He got something. Hallelujah. He obeyed the... Thank you. Glory to God. She just preached right to it. He got us. He inherited us. Well, you know, when I went... Christmas is not far off, and we used to be threatened when I was a kid. If you're not good, Santa's going to bring you what? Coal. Coal. Why? Because what? who wants coal? It has no value. We want something that's valuable. Jesus did not die on the cross to be raised up and given a sack of coal. He was not given a bag of earthly junk. He was given something that the Bible refers to as wealth and riches. What were the riches of the glory of His inheritance? Woo, hallelujah. What was the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints? Well, number one, riches. Let's define it. What are riches? Riches, I would define simply as wealth concentrated in objects of value. Your wealth is the money you have in the bank, the jewels in your jewelry box, if some of you have some of that, the uh, value of your vehicle, the contents of your home, your investments. Your, uh, you could think uh, of your family, the possessions of your children. But your wealth is simply concentrated in objects of value. 
When you take money to the store to get something, you're exchanging one object of value for another object of value. If you buy a $10 meal from Burger King, you want $10 worth of, of belly filler and taste bud satisfier. And you figure that the $10 you've got in your wallet is worth the belly filler and the taste bud satisfier that the Burger King is going to give you. So there's an exchange of what? Of objects of value. You give them your object of value, they give you their object of value. When Jesus rose from the dead, he was given by the Father objects of value. You are not earthly junk that's just been dusted off and given a second chance. You are transformed living stones and jewels, pure gold. The Bible speaks of you in the highest glowing terms of earthly wealth because God's trying to get inside your head and show you you are not the earthen stubble and the old, um, broken, and corrupted sinner that you used to be. Something good has happened to you. Somebody say praise the Lord. And so he has been given the wealth, the riches, of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. And I think, wow, when Jesus received us, he received a glory in us. And I think, well, everything that we did before we got saved to try to glory was just shameful. The Bible says we glory in our, in our, our glory is our shame. But the, the term glory literally means the unique inherent function of God. Whatever God creates into everything that he creates to function, that is its glory. The soaring eagle is in its glory. The, uh, the swimming dolphin is in its glory. And when man in the presence of God, just like the eagle has to be in its environment to fly, it has to be in the air. The dolphin has to be in the water, it has to be in its environment. The dolphin can't swim in the air, the eagle can't fly underwater. So man was designed to rule and reign with God, to love Him, to receive love. We, did you realize that um, you are actually, just like a lamp was designed to receive electricity from the wall and boom, shine and drive darkness away. You are designed to receive love. God's current of love. You are designed, you can plug stuff into your life, you won't shine. You plug the love of God into your life and agape will light you up. Hallelujah. Somebody say amen. Agape will light you up, praise the Lord. So Adam and Eve were designed to shine with love. And when they shined, they would drive away ignorance. They would have peace. They named all the animals. They were brilliant. They would rule and reign. We rule and reign with the God of whom the Bible says He is love. And that's why when we act contrary to love, we are unplugging ourselves. We're acting contrary to our nature. Things don't go well, but when we flow with the love of God, miracles and power take place. The Bible says it's faith that works by love in the kingdom of God. And so the glory in us is the fact that the love of God drove sin out and transformed us and made us sons and daughters. I'm a child born again of love. I can receive love. I have received love. I, according to Romans 5 and 5, have had the love of God transferred into my heart. I'm filled and overflowing with God's love. I can give that love to others. As a matter of fact, if I love sinners with the love of Jesus Christ, their eyes will be opened. And the enemy that blinds and binds them can release them and they can see that light 
and receive Jesus. We can help people when we are plugged into that love. Can you say amen? So this is what Jesus, this was the, the, the inheritance that he got. And of course, what says it better than Peter chapter 2, 9, which says, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. Remember that phrase, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. You live as God's answer to the accuser. The Lord does not argue with the devil. He just points to you. You live as God's answer to the accuser. Are you living as God's answer to the accuser today? Number three, the third thing that the spirit of wisdom and revelation will reveal to you is the exceeding greatness of His power towards us. When He rose from the dead, that power that raised us up with Him and made us sit with Him, what was the nature of that power? God wants you to know. It's, it's good that you believe in the power of God. <clears throat> it's good that you can see and understand and accept the fact that by His power you've been made a new creation in Christ. But God wants you to see something deeper. He wants you to understand that power, probably because He wants you to be filled with that power. He wants you to work with that power. He wants that power to flow through you. So He wants you to understand it. So what was so great about the power that Jesus has towards us? What was so great about it? Well, the power with which He removed your sin made you His child, seated you in heaven, could be described with words such as indisputable, settled, supreme, righteous. Whenever the enemy comes and tries to overpower you with what? With lies. When he tries to lure you off from the power of God through deceptions, trying to get you to turn from the advocate to the guidance and counsel of the accuser. What do you need to remember? You need to remember that the power that is within you is indisputable. Don't listen to the devil disputing with that power. It is settled. Do you realize when God plants you somewhere, when God says something about you, you don't ever have to give that territory up? That is the thus says the Lord. No matter what the devil does, if he seems to burn your house down and God said that's your house, then stand still to see the salvation of God because God's going to rebuild it for you. Somebody say, man, if the thus says the Lord is this is my kingdom, this is what I say about you, that word is settled. And let me tell you, it's supreme. It is supreme. You don't have to be talked out of anything that God has talked you into. And finally, his power is righteous. You know, the devil has corrupt power. And one, one of the ways you know that you're dealing with someone that operates by corrupt power is they think everybody's power is corrupt. Corrupt people think everyone else is corrupt. You ever run into that? You ever notice that? Potheads think everybody's smoking pot. Homosexuals think everybody's secretly gay. Are you listening to me? Um, thieves think everyone steals. Liars think everyone lies. People that look at pornography think, think everybody's looking at pornography. 
Corrupt people think everything and everybody else is corrupt. But let me tell you, God's power is righteous. Though a thousand may fall at my side, the Bible says, and ten thousand at my right hand, it shall not come near me. God's power concerning you is a righteous power. So you have every right to say, if the whole church goes nuts, I don't have to go nuts with them. If everyone backslides and runs away, I'm not going anywhere. If everybody turns away from Jesus and and the world's gone crazy, don't expect me to believe that God isn't real and His Word isn't true. If I'm the last man standing, honey, I will be standing here when He comes. Somebody say, praise the Lord. So His power is the power not of what might be, but the power of what is. He wants you to know what is. What is the greatness of His power towards us? What is, the power of what is, accomplished? Not what might be accomplished. Hallelujah. All these things are accomplishments for you and I. When you truly understand and believe in the Advocate Jesus, then His power works in you what is, not what might be. Praise the Lord. People say, how can you believe that with his stripes you were, you're going to be healed? How can you really believe it? Because it just everything looks like it's getting worse. <laughs> Who has not been there? Who's not been in that situation? We all have been in it. We are standing as embassies of heaven in the midst of a world that is falling down around us, that is pressing with all of its powers of influence against us, trying to wipe that smile off your face, trying to pull faith out of your heart and say, come along with us, it's over with. Join us, you've lost. God's not going to answer you this time. Are you listening to me? You need to remember that when you're running with the Advocate, you're dealing with what is, not what might be. Somebody say amen. Hallelujah. One of my favorite verses, just a few verses before the one we read about the spirit of wisdom and revelation, also in the first verse of, um, in the first chapter of Ephesians, is verse 12 that says, that we should be, everyone say be, be. to the praise of His glory. Jesus obsoleted the accuser, drove him from heaven. Therefore, as a Christian, as a child of the Advocate, we are born of a kingdom seated in triumph, acceptance, and peace. We're not struggling over a a disputed territory. We're not trying to see the kingdom of God come and manifest in our lives. The kingdom of God is come. Hallelujah. Solidly in our heart. It's not, a con- not in conflict. It's not a kingdom in dispute. We're not trying to win for Jesus. Jesus has already won. Amen. Glory to God. Can you say amen? amen? When you understand this, when you understand that you're a child of the advocate, you realize that you have His glory living within you. You don't have to struggle to create your own glory. I guess that's what I'm really trying to say. You don't have to go out and try to be good. In fact, can I say to you this morning, God has not called you to go out and try to be good. He furnished you the fruit of the Spirit, which is good. The fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such, the Bible says there is no law. There's no deterioration. There's no conflict. That which is good has come. 
You're not called to go out and try to be good. You're not called as a Christian to go out and try to be a success. The one who is successful, who drove the accuser from heaven, whoever lives to make intercession, is at this moment living as Lord of your life. What are you called then? You are called to be with Him. Not called to be for Him, called to be with Him. You're not a sinner trying to be for Jesus. You are called to be with Him. He is all the goodness that you need. You know, so many Christians get this wrong idea. I hear it repeated um, so many times. This idea, this philosophy is insinuated into a lot of our, our modern preaching, our modern books and, and, th- and ideas that are circulating in modern Christianity. And it's, it, it creates a, a weakness in faith and it's, a, it's delusional. And that is the idea that God has called you to be yourself. Just be yourself. Myself is why I needed a Savior. Myself died at Calvary. I'm not called to be myself. I'm called to be with Him who has awakened me, freed me from myself. Freed me to be in Him, and in Him I live, I move, I have my being. In Him I have joy, in Him I have peace. I can't love, but in Him love flows and abounds. I'm not patient, but in Him I have all the patience that I need. People often say, oh, don't pray for patience. Nonsense. The Bible doesn't say to pray for patience anywhere. It says, be in Him, pursue Him, patience will find you. You don't need to, people say, well, pray for patience and God will send trials to develop patience. Hogwash. God is not trying to develop patience in you. He's already given you patience. Why in the world would He need to develop patience in you? Any patience that you might develop through the skills of navigating the turbulent waters of trials and hardships is a worthless, broken, humanistic patience that will never succeed at obeying and pleasing God. So why don't you just give up and give in to life? Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Patience is a fruit of the Spirit. You're not called to be yourself. You're called to be His. Hallelujah. Don't you realize it? Stop trying to be yourself. Freedom is not in you finding you. Freedom is in you finding Jesus. Hallelujah. Finding Him. Glory to God. You are called to radiate His glory. Not try to polish yourself and shine with your own glory. Yes, as a Christian, could you be a better sinner? Yes, sure. When Christians think being a Christian is being a better sinner, they are usually better at it. They hide it better. They do less of it. And they're usually, usually more honest about it. So a Christian sinner is probably a better sinner than a sinner sinner. Do you understand? But you are not called to be a Christian sinner. You're not called to polish and shine your life through trials and sufferings so that you can shine up and be buffed, and ground to a smooth, shining, radiant glory. 
of humanity. No. You are called to be with Him. You are called to be His. He's got enough shine for all of us. He's got enough glory for all of us. Can you say amen? Amen. The Father hasn't called you to be good or successful. He's called you to be His, to be Jesus. Let me close by saying to you this morning, it's true. We are sinners saved by grace. I don't see anything wrong with that statement. I, I know that, that people of you know, ardent faith like to say, no, 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 you're not a sinner saved by grace. You're a new creation in Christ and they're quick to run. But really, I understand what people mean when they say I'm a sinner saved by grace. I get it. Paul said, um, uh, you know, I was a sinner among, among whom I was the worst of sinners. It's okay to say you're a sinner saved by grace. But if by that you mean that you're still just that lump of coal, that piece of junk, just forgiven. I'm a forgiven clod of dirt. Then you are wrong. That is not a sinner saved by grace. But it is okay to say you're a sinner saved by grace. You're, you're identifying with the, the humility, in humility with there was nothing of value salvageable in your life. You are saved not because Jesus found, he ground you down till he found what was salvageable and good in you and then he, he raised that up. No, none of, there was nothing good in you. No, not one, not nothing good. You're Jesus' new creation through and through. But it's okay to say you, that you are a sinner saved by grace. But as I said, you're not merely a forgiven earthly piece of junk. You are God's eternal investment. Let that sink in. You are God's eternal investment. He's wealthy. Remember I shared with you before that the Holy Spirit wants wants to give a spirit of wisdom and revelation to you that you would know what was the hope of His calling. What was the exceeding riches of the glory of His inheritance. What did Jesus inherit? If He is wealthy beyond all kings and kingdoms, then what are His riches? What is His wealth? You are God's eternal investment. God has invested eternity in you. Do you think God makes stupid investments? You think God invests in portfolios that are going to lose their value, that are going to be drugged down by the market, that the accuser can devalue with his lies? No. Whatever God invests his wealth in, I assure you, that it is going to multiply through the ages and through the eons into eternity. You're the portfolio of Jesus. You're the stock of heaven. You're heaven's stock. Forget Exxon. Forget Apple. Forget IBM. You, my friend, are Jesus' portfolio. You're the stock of heaven. Hallelujah. God has banked everything in you. Stand with me. Remember that next time the devil tries to talk you into defeating. The next time he comes around to advise you, to counsel you. I don't care how bad it looks. You know, you could take a five-carat diamond 
and stick it in a compost pile of trash and refuse. But if I find it in there, you better believe I'm going to pull that diamond out and rinse it off. And it's going to be just as valuable as if I'd have found it sitting in a 24 karat gold setting. Because diamonds don't lose their value no matter what you put them in. So I don't care what your life is surrounded with, immersed in, you are the stock of heaven. Lift your hands. Father in heaven, I bless this people this morning. I pray that the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Jesus Christ would filter up into their minds. That the artesian well of the Holy Spirit, the living teacher within, would grant them thirst and hunger to pursue this truth and to run after it. I pray, Father God, that every errant idea, every lie, every deception of the enemy, every wrong path, every bad decision that the devil's trying to push people into today, that you, Lord God, would raise up the light of truth, the light of revelation, and let that light of who the advocate is We are His children. Let it dawn upon each and every one of us that we will stand as the stock of heaven, the portfolio of Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. In a dark and dying world. Thank you, Father, today. Bless. Let healing flow. Let everything that is wrong be made well, be made right, be healed as the knowledge of the Lord marches on. In our hearts and minds this day. We turn it all over to you. In Jesus name. Now while your hands are continued to be up. Receive the blessing of God. May he cause his face to shine upon you. May the light of the countenance of the eternal. The advocate. In whom you have full acceptance. May that love shine and fill your heart and mind today. May you be led out with peace. And brought forth with joy for the. Mountains of the hills will break forth before you. The valleys will rise to meet your feet. They will fill. Hallelujah. The narrow way will give way to you and the Lord is going to lead you this week. Be blessed. Get ready. Go out with joy because the Lord has ordained for you a week of victory. Enter into it, child of God, rejoicing in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord.